Hiring the wrong executive costs you time and money. Leveraging work psychology, Spear Consulting helps you hire the right executive so you can focus on growing your business. For a free quote, visit spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast. Excited to have a new connection, Craig, a, a fellow uh, brother in Christ on the podcast today and to kind of talk through uh, many of his, uh, you know, peaks and valleys of his leadership journey. Craig, we always start off with who are you for the sake of being able to kind of help our guests understand, you know, uh, who you are and, and what you do in the world. Great. Well, thank you, Chris, and happy to be here. Excited about this uh, conversation we're going to have today. So Craig Ryder, I'm the Strategic uh, Vice President, Senior Vice President of Marketing Strategy for Highmark Health. I'm also the Chief uh, Marketing Officer for our Diversified Business Groups. I've been in marketing my entire career uh, since I graduated from Duquesne University back in 1997, so about 25 years now uh, on the dot in the month of May. And it's been a journey. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that journey and a little bit later in the conversation. But I'm a veteran marketer, but more importantly, I'm a, a very um, happy and committed husband and father of two children and a very active practicing Catholic. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so we get a lot of Christians on the show, but not a lot of Catholics. <laughs> you know, my, my, one of my, uh, I guess, uh, spiritual father of mine, Russ, who's been on the podcast, he said he was kind of like talking to a Bishop, maybe like, I don't know, 20 years ago. And they were like, estimating kind of like the number of percentage of people that are actually like practicing Catholics, meaning like, you know, they subscribe to going to regular confession when they, you know, fall out of the grace of God and are actively receiving the Eucharist in a state of grace. And they were kind of like contemplating that it was like less than like probably 1%. So, um, I, and that's 20 years ago. I, I, maybe that number has even fallen further, but I'm just, curious as to like, why are you a Catholic, Craig? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a great question. So I was born and raised Catholic. That's how most Catholics uh, tend to be Catholic, quite honestly. And I, you know, I, throughout my life, I've done a lot of self-exploration, a lot of challenging of faith uh, to really make sure that I, what it is that I believe and I don't, I'm a, I'm a big believer to not blindly follow anything. It's, you should always seek to question and to understand. And I had the advantage, uh, fortunately for me, and I'll get into the story of how I got to Duquesne University momentarily, but I went to a, a, a Catholic university, but it was uh, with the Spiritans, the, uh, the Spiritans uh, track here with the Holy Ghost Fathers. And they were a very, um, you know, much like Jesuits, they were a very progressive form of Catholicism that allowed the student uh, formation to be able to explore in a university setting. And... I took a lot of core theology courses when I was there. It was a requirement uh, each year to have a, a core theology course. And I did a lot of studying on religions East and West and understanding Western religions and all the different formats. And what I'll tell you, Chris, um, my perspective as a lay person, Christianity and its broader view, whether it's Lutheran, Catholic, you know, United Presbyterian, Christian, and in a broader view of it, it's all the same spiritual teaching. It's all the same connection with God and being the best person you can be to others and, and to love others as you love yourself and to do the right things. 
And so I think it's really more, it's, to me, it's less about the man-made dogma of our faith. And it's more about really embracing being a faith-based individual. And so I've found no reason to leave the Catholic Church because I can get everything I need in that broader view while still following the processes of Catholicism. And I've found it to be weekly mass and, 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 and tithing and communion to be such great opportunities for me to self-reflect, um, penance uh, to self-reflect and to constantly calibrate. And so what I found is that Catholicism gives me the discipline track. It gives me the, the rule set to follow that helps keep me on track with what I'm trying to do spiritually. So I'm less concerned about letter of the law, I'm more concerned about spirit of the law, much like Jesus would teach and really not, not get stuck behind the man-made rules to things. So if I, if I eat meat on a Friday in Lent, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up too much about that. It's all about self-discipline. <laughs> it's all about understanding sacrifice and, and creating sacrifice in our lives in honor of what Jesus had created a sacrifice for us to be where we are today. So the, what I, I guess I, the long answer to your short question, you know, I've, I've found that Catholicism gives me a great framework in which I can exercise my faith. Well, well, that was uh, beautifully said. And uh, I, I don't really get to talk a, a lot about this because, you know, in essence, like I said, 90% of our show hosts are, are, are uh, 90% of the people that are guests on the podcast um, are like non-denominational for whatever reason, just like I said, I think ultimately probably just because the number of us that are practicing Catholics are maybe not out there. And so then if we're pursuing them, you know, we're just pursuing people uh, due to their relationship with Christ and through God uh, that just ultimately just falls into kind of where we are as a society. But, you know, for me, that journey really uh, started through, um, like experiencing the presence of God through the Eucharist while in uh, adoration and two of my friends, like, you know, praising and worshiping God through praise and worship music and just like weeping my eyes out in front of the Eucharist and recognizing that, you know, Jesus is truly presently there in body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And when that happened, like recognizing that, you know, where am I going to go at this point? <laughs> because, you know, like this is truly Jesus. And, um, so, yeah, uh, I think the other cool thing is like I have through ministry, um, whether that be like deliverance or prophetic ministry or or our school of supernatural ministry, the anointed life, which is a Catholic ministry, like we encounter and work with so many different like brothers and sisters in Christ that are of different denominations. Um, and we kind of see that commonality of like just that personal relationship, just pursuing all in for Christ. Um and, and yet I think it's beautiful that we can have that commonality and that common respect for one another. And it also opens the, the doorway to kind of talk about really that is a supernatural faith of believing that, you know, Christ died for our sins, but in essence, he also gave us the Eucharist to eat his flesh and drink his blood through that, which was something that was a very hard teaching for his disciples and that many of them walked away from him on that point specifically um, and so, yeah, I just give you kudos for <clears throat> being able to maintain holding the line <laughs> because, you know, it's, it, I think with the numbers 
looking at like all these mega churches that are you know propping up it's really easy to be able to you know maybe see some of the ways that they you know I, if if i'm being honest i mean i think the catholic church really struggles with community we really struggle with being able to uh, manage our crises and communicate, which as a marketer, I'm sure you see a lot of that and just, you know, us, you know, slapping your head of just like, what are we doing here? But, but, you know, nonetheless, it's not about other people and us. It's about, you know, a relationship with God through Christ and pursuing him. And so, yeah, I just commend you for that. Uh, and, and thank you as well for uh, being able to connect today. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit more? So you kind of gave us a little bit of your faith journey. Can you speak to your own leadership journey and how you got to the position that you're in today? Absolutely. And um, it's, probably part of it is giving it up to God, quite honestly, and allowing my connection to guide me in all of these key forks in the road that I've made throughout my career and throughout my career journey. Uh, let, let's start with just how I even got to Duquesne University to begin with. So obviously I had grown up Catholic, had gone to a Catholic grade school, public high school, um, but I didn't seek out Duquesne because it was a Catholic university. I sought it out for a very um, superficial reason, quite honestly, initially. And maybe in, in hindsight, it all comes back full circle that I should have been a marketer, even though I didn't know that I was going to be a marketer at that point in time in my life. But at that point in time, mid nineties, a lot of um, colleges would come to local high schools and do recruitment fairs. And some representatives came from Duquesne University and they had, quite honestly, the most beautiful enrollment book out of everybody else there that I took home with me. It was a beautifully gold stamped and embossed foiled D for Duquesne. And, I, and the photography and the layout was just really, just got me really excited to want to visit this campus, which I then did. And in the campus visit, I realized I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, central PA area. Beautiful place to grow up, uh, not a large area for marketing and growth. So I said, hey, this is a few hours to the west in Pittsburgh. I could live in an urban environment where I could get access to culture and business at a scale that I wouldn't have gotten in a more rural environment where I grew up. The campus was beautiful. It just spoke to me. And the, the, the reason I initially went there was I just was in, in, enchanted by their recruiting materials I got to the campus and it just felt right at the time. I probably was being guided, not even knowing at that point in time that I was being guided to this place, which became just fundamental in who I was and how I approached the world today. But I will tell you, I went because beautiful enrollment materials, got hooked when I visited the campus, and Duquesne in the Pittsburgh market, Western Pennsylvania market, has a very well-known law school. And I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and I was going for pre-law. But my understanding of law and what it meant to be a lawyer was based on TV programming at the time. LA Law, Boston Legal, you name the different uh, Law and Order SB, you, you name the program. And I had in high school, I was on the debate team. I was in forensics. I, I liked to speak and talk in public. And I felt this would be great. It would be all trial law, law and I would understand my clients and I'd get up and defend them. And that's what it's all about. And when I realized after one pre-law course that it was much more about reading and interpreting, uh, interpreting and a lot of very, quite honestly to me, boring stuff. It was eye-opening to me to say, wow, I don't want to be a lawyer. There's no creativity the way that I see the world in creativity. So I was at a crossroads already in my freshman year in college 
I picked this school because of this track and all of a sudden I don't want anything to do with this, but I love this school. What do I do next? And so the next two years in college was really a, a, an exploration and a lot of electives and a lot of self-discovery to try to identify what did I want to be when I grew up? And I still hadn't known until my junior year in college, spring semester, I took an internship with an advertising agency in the Pittsburgh market. The name of the company was Mark USA at the time. It's now a company called Nine Rooftops. But I did an internship in their public relations department, and I realized, wow, I really like this. It's, it's the art of writing, which I was really enjoying as, as how I expressed myself artistically through the art of word. It allowed me to use persuasion, which was one of the nat native skills that I had um, always had and had built over time in high school through forensics and debate. And it just seemed like a fast-paced environment where I got to learn a lot of different industries, that which has come, I've come to learn is, is one of the things that makes, uh, that really motivates me is the ability to always learn and grow and challenge things. I always need to be stimulated. And so it turns out I, I got into an ad agency in the PR side of the house. Um, that internship uh, rolled into a contract position during my senior year. So I was working part-time while finishing my degree. And then, you know, I graduated on a Saturday afternoon, rolled right into work on a Monday morning the very following week with a full-time job at that agency. Um, that's where I started. I started an ad agency business. I did it for about 14 years, the first 14 years of my career. And that was a journey too, Chris, because I started in public relations and I had a couple accounts and clients that I was working on supporting, learning a lot of great stuff, building skills. Um, one of my big clients was going through a merger with another, it was a hospital system. They were merging with another hospital system. They wanted to rebrand uh, the, the organization because it was a combination of a couple different health systems and they wanted to do a branding exercise and we were their PR agency of record. So they asked, did we do anything in that space for branding? I brought it back to our leadership of the, of the agency. They said, yes, we do, but you don't know anything about it. Um, but let's go ahead and put something together and we'll put a proposal together. And the client basically said, we, yeah, we want to do this, but we want Craig to work with us. We trust Craig. We've built a relationship with us. He understands us. And so my agency had the fortitude at the time to invest in me. And they basically paired me with a brand strategist and said, okay, you've never done this. We have a brand strategist here who's done. Learn, uh, be, be in the meetings, run the meetings, you're the face to the client, but you know, rely on this depth of experience and learning. And I did. And it opened up my mind to a whole new area of marketing beyond public relations to brand strategy that was like, wow, it spoke to me. This, this is what I want to do. Not just public relations. Public relations is great, but this is really where I want to be. And so we went through a great brand development process with that client. The client then said, this is fantastic. Now we need to launch and promote our new brand. Do you guys do advertising? So we said, of course, let me take it back to our leadership team. And they said to me, yes, Craig, we do advertising, but you've never done an advertising campaign, but we'll partner you with some people who have and you'll learn. And so they invested in me learning the advertising side of the business. And we launched an incredible campaign, won several awards, and really helped drive traffic and volume to that health system at a time when they needed it. That got me on my trajectory to advertising, marketing, brand versus public relations. And it really opened me up to the broader role of marketing and how I could be operating at the top of my license. And I moved steadily up through the organization to larger and larger accounts from this regional hospital and health system, finally to the point where you know, 12, 11, 12 years into my career, I was running the biggest account in the agency. I was, I was running point on Rite Aid Corporation, which is a, a national retail drugstore chain. 
and I was leading their, that business uh, for the agency. Built a relationship with the CMO at Rite Aid, so much so that he recruited me to come over and join him at Rite Aid as his VP of marketing. And so 14 years into my agency career, I went to the client side and it spoke to me. It spoke to me because as an ad agency partner, you're always uh, consulting, adding value, trying to deliver on um, programs, campaigns, and, and, and other marketing solutions that'll help solve your client's business problems, but you never really own the solution because you're serving it up, you're hoping they take it, you're hoping they execute it, then they have to deliver it. And even though I had a great relationship with my client, I write it, I always felt like I was a stranger walking amongst the halls where I was part of the team, but I really wasn't. I never had that full investment in owning of the lot of driving the campaign all the way through the organization and, and feeling that the, the value of delivering that as a member of the team. And I was longing for that idea of like, what makes it great marketing? How do we connect the dots to our store teams, to our um, customer service call center? And how do we really bring this marketing campaign to life in fullness? So going client side in the corporate environment gave me that, gave me that broader exposure to really understand how to be a true marketer, not just an advertising campaign marketer, but a true marketer that understands price and, 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 and value and how we think about margin and levers and how all these things have to work together for business to truly get the most value out of marketing. And I had a wild ride, a fantastic ride for six years at Rite Aid. I did some amazing things turning that company around uh, from being in a very difficult position to the point where it was then a target to be acquired by Walgreens, another national chain drug. And that was in the fall of 2015. And I was part of the initial integration team uh, for that, um, that merger acquisition. And I just wasn't feeling good about where it was going. It just the, the, the cultural fit between the two organizations wasn't there. Some of the challenges we were having with SEC and filing and getting approvals and regulatory to do the merger didn't, didn't seem like they were going in the right direction. And I didn't want to be left holding the bag if it fell through and the pieces were on the floor. So I felt like that was a time where I needed to make a decision to take control of my own destiny. Uh, again, reflected, gave it up to God. I prayed on it. What should I do? At the time, a um, little bit of an inside buzz for those that are interested in mergers and acquisitions. Typically, when a company goes through a merger and acquisition, they lock in the senior level folks, all we call the C-suite. So the CEO, the CFO, the CIO, like all the C-level folks get locked in to retain them through that transition period. But the next level leadership, the VPs and some of the other roles, you know, we had retention bonuses, but nothing that another company couldn't come in and, and match and, and pull us away. So what happens is a lot of companies, when they find out of these mergers and acquisitions, the executive recruiters will go out and start talking to these folks because, you know, mergers and acquisitions create uncertainty, they create opportunity, they create downsizing and synergy, and it becomes a ripe opportunity for recruitment. So I was getting lots of calls from recruiters for lots of different roles and opportunities. And I had a choice at that point in my life where I had to decide what was best for me, what was best for my family, what was best for my future. And I ultimately ended up with this organization I am in today, Highmark Health. And I've been at Highmark Health since the spring of 2016. So it's just over six years now. And much like every other step in my career, Chris, that I've made, it was the best decision I made. And it got me to round out to a purpose-driven organization purpose-driven culture that's trying to do something that truly transform health for the people that we serve and trying to transform the healthcare industry and 
what I've recognized is there's a tremendous amount of power, value, just uh, self-fulfillment um, in working for a purpose-driven culture where I, you know, I did a great job. I made a name for myself. I made a great career and a livelihood for my family. Um, we, we, I gave my, my wife and my children many means uh, when I was working in a for-profit sector. But going to nonprofit and being purpose-driven has, has opened up a different area of my, my fulfillment and my leadership and my um, just overall satisfaction with my role in the world because I've gone nonprofit. Instead of upselling shampoo and conditioner and selling more razor blades, I'm trying to help people take that next, next best action to be healthier. And that means a lot more to me. So long answer to your short story, but it's been a journey. <clears throat> yeah, so... Well, thank you for sharing, first of all, and just kind of processing what you said. I'm just curious, thinking about people that are still kind of in the for-profit, haven't worked for a mission-based organization or you know, purpose-driven organization, can you speak to some of the differences and how and what that means to you? Yeah, I absolutely can. So it doesn't make, it's not a, it's not a value judgment on word versus the other. I mean, commerce drives livelihood in many ways, but when I was working in the for-profit retail sector at Rite Aid, we were a publicly traded company. We had fiduciary responsibilities to, to create value for our shareholders. So you could say that our customers truly were who we were focusing on delivering value for our customers and our pharmacy patients. You could say that, but at the end of the day, who do we really need to create value for? It was our shareholders. Because if what we did didn't drive value for shareholders, the board of directors would weigh in, they would change the strategy, you could, you know, the leadership team could get turned over. I had to reconcile that who is it that you're truly serving? And I truly, truly believe if you take care of your customers, the rest takes care of itself. If you truly do something of value for those whom you serve, they will continue to support you. They will come at, at, at increasing levels of loyalty. They will spend and you will win. It's easy to believe that, but it's hard to live that when on a quarterly basis you have to eat, you have to hit certain Wall Street earnings requirements. When you have monthly sales reporting that you have to do publicly to the organization and people respond to the performance and the trajectory of your business. And so, yes, we had a wellness vision at Rite Aid at the time. They still do. Um, and, and Rite Aid is still in business and, and trying to deliver on that. But as a public related organization, you can set your North Star. But, but along the way, if your prescription counts are down or if your front end sales are off, you scramble. You have to react to that because you have to hit your numbers to Wall Street to be able to continue to drive earnings for your shareholders or else they lose confidence in your direction. People lose their jobs, bring in new executives and everything changes. Again. And that was a big eye-opening to me when I moved to a purpose-driven company, nonprofit, not publicly traded. So shareholders aren't driving the decisions. We have a board of directors. We have a lot of discipline. And most nonprofit companies have similar levels of discipline as for-profit companies. But the nuance is when we set a strategy and a vision, and we have one and a very important one at Highmark Health, when you set that, and we're aligned with our board. And we have a purpose-driven board as well. Our board of directors cares just as much about our ability to impact and improve health and wellness in our communities as they do about our financial stability. 
But when you have alignment from the top of your organization, board to executive leadership, all the way down through the organization in a nonprofit, and you set the course as to where you're trying to go in terms of driving value and improving health and wellness, if the business goes a little bit sideways, or if you don't, if, if your margins get a little bit lower for a period of time, or if your enrollment numbers change, or your patient volumes go up or down, you can weather the storm because you're not worried about short-term, um, publicly available to the street decisions that have to be made because you're investing in a longer-term strategy. You're focused on the end game, and so our executive, our CEO David Holmberg, will say, "Strategy is a series of S curves." We never deviate from our end destination in our long-term strategy, but we do recognize that we're in a highly regulated industry, lots of different dynamic forces, competitive, uh, regulatory, customer, um, you know, just overall technology advancements, et cetera. We will have turns that we'll make on that road. It'll be a windy road, but we never give up and we never deviate from the strategy. And it's that purpose that keeps our North Star in, in line. And that, to me, is the biggest difference. Yes, we, 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 we manage ourselves with strong fiduciary responsibility because at the end of the day, we have to make a responsible amount of margin to be able to sustain our business, to be able to maintain our reserves, to be able to invest in the solutions that we know are needed in the organization or that are needed in the communities that we serve. So we manage ourselves very in a very disciplined fiduciary manner, but we don't deviate from the long vision of that of what we're trying to do to create and improve health uh, because of short-term you know, gains or losses. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Hmm. Yeah, so that that's uh, wildly helpful and uh, <clears throat> also appreciate an insider, you know, having worked in in both of those industries uh, to be able to speak on that and share through the differences to, you know, kind of uh, guide those that are contemplating, you know, working on either side of the fence. If, if you're in a mission driven organization looking for a publicly shared organization, understanding the differences there and or also kind of vice versa, if you have been on the for profit side contemplating, you know, the nonprofit organization and, you know, just being able to be eyes wide open about what that's going to look like. So, so thank you for that, uh, Craig. And so, you know, now that you've kind of found yourself on this journey, can you maybe speak to some of the uh, leadership deficiencies that you had or some of the vices that you had to overcome in order to be the leader that you are today? Absolutely, Chris. First of all, let me just say, um, I am a work in progress. We are all works in progress. So I am, I, I am like clay being molded. I still am far from a perfect version of myself. And I think that's part of my spiritual journey is constantly improving and constantly getting better as an individual, as a leader, um, and balancing that with being better as a father and as a husband and as a son. And it's a constant battle of calibrating all of those things. But I will tell you that um, you know, the, some of the vices I've had to uh, overcome, uh, there, there are a couple that are all correlated. 
and it, and they really start from early in my career to where I am now and the journey that I've been on. So the first one is arrogance. You know, I have always exhibited self-confidence. At least that's how I interpreted it. To others, it was interpreted as arrogance. And I've always had lots of great ideas. I've never been shy about sharing those ideas. I have a natural energy about me. And that um, early in my career served me well in some aspects, but it burned me in others. And I will never forget very early in my career, I was in my first role at the agency that I'd mentioned earlier on the call, Mark USA. And I was going into my very first professional annual review. And I had started as an assistant account executive, which is the most entry level you can have in an account management agency. I felt like I was ready to be promoted to account executive, which is the next level review. And I was going into that, that performance review expecting to be promoted. And I came out with my tail between my legs. And what I mean by that is my boss, and she turned into one of my mentors, Marilyn Kell, I still keep in touch with her. Um, she had to have a very frank conversation with me. And she basically, the word she used is, you have to stop being a hot dog. And then she started to unpack what that meant. And it was a big gut punch to me as, as an individual. And um, she basically said that I was exhibiting such high arrogance that nobody around me in my peer set enjoyed working with me because I was always one-upping them. I was always trying to be the best at everything. I was always out for myself. I wasn't a team player. And that really, that, that, that hurt to have to hear that because I always felt that I was a natural born leader and I'm an accelerator. And just because I volunteer for every possible assignment and always raise my hand and always volunteer to do this or that, that's a good thing. That's how you make it in life. You're a hard driver, you're a charger, you're, you know, you're a superstar. And what she helped me recognize is that how you bring others with you is what makes you a superstar, not what you yourself do for yourself. And so when I say arrogance, that's, that's highly correlated with selfishness. A lot of it was, how do I improve my career? Because, I, again, I've always been very um, driven. It's one of my personality traits. And, you know, I, I graduated from college and I had a plan. I graduated at the age of 20 and I was going to be a vice president by 35. And I had, all, I had it all mapped out in my head. And it was all about me. And one of the things that my mentor and boss at the time had to share with me is you won't get there without bringing others with you. And what truly differentiates leaders is those who can not only perform in and of themselves, but those who can do it in a selfless way that, that get the best out of everybody around them. And if you're so focused on yourself and your path, you won't get there. You'll make progress. You'll make a name for yourself, but you will... You will frustrate more people and alienate more people in your game. And at the end of the day, as you move further and further up any organization, your ability to influence others um, through indirect leadership, influencing them by understanding and listening to them and understanding and meeting them where they are and, and meeting their needs and partnering becomes more and more and more important than your ability to deliver something on your own. And that was one year into my career, but to this day, I still use that story and that experience I had in my very first annual review because it was a very salient point in my life where I realized, okay, all of my life from childhood through college to early career had been all about me making myself better and how do I be the best me, but it was all about the best me for me, not for others. And that was really a great turning point for me, uh, Chris, I will tell you. So arrogance and, and selfishness to me were very early on vices that I had to overcome. And then 
the, the next stage of my journey when I finally did progress a few years later from individual contributor roles into people leadership roles and roles, the next vice I had to overcome was carelessness. And I will tell you, um, I thought what it meant to be a good leader was to tell people what they wanted to hear, to get them to do my bidding, to get them to, to mold them into delivering on what I needed from them. And what I learned on very, what I learned very early on is servant leadership is the right way to lead. It's not about what you can get others to do for you. It's what you can do for them to bring out the best in themselves. So they naturally do great work on your behalf. Very, very different. And I had some very hard lessons in my first years of being a people leader where I found and I did damage because I was very careless in how I was doing that leadership. I was, I was I was hearing them, but I wasn't listening. I was placating. I was, I was basically delivering that, you know, if you're familiar with Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, one of my favorite self-help books for people leadership. If, if anybody out there hasn't read it, I highly recommend you do, but there is, um, if she takes a four box on the way you think about people management and engagement, the bottom left quadrant is called manipulative insincerity. And that's what I was delivering. I was, I was hearing them. I was placating my people. I was saying the right things to them, but I wasn't changing any of my behaviors as a result. I wasn't doing anything different. I was basically listening to them to be able to turn around what they needed to what I wanted. And that was very ruinous in terms of my initial relationships and my ability to manage. And it was something that I had to very quickly overcome to, to, to get to the leadership role I'm in today. Awesome. <clears throat> well, thank you for uh, your candor there of being able to just kind of walk through two of the challenges that you've seen in your own leadership journey um, and, and growth there. Curious, you know, for those listening, um, just thinking about... I guess both of those vices really, what would you say to people listening that you just maybe kind of open their eyes to maybe some of the struggles that they're having and how one could start walking themselves out of, of either of those, whether that be, you know, uh, having pride and arrogance or, or carelessness. Yeah. What I would, what I would say, Chris, is a couple things. Number one, I recognized that those vices were going to hold me back from getting to the next level of leadership. So in order for, if I truly wanted to be an executive leader, if I truly wanted to be a, 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 an increasingly um, more influential leader of more people, that I had to truly understand what it takes to get the best out of people. And I benefited throughout my career from tremendous mentorship, people who I sought out to learn from. And a, a piece of advice for everybody is treat everybody that you work with or work for as a mentor. Uh, even if you don't like that individual, even if that individual drives you crazy. And I've had some, some bosses in my career that, that didn't get along incredibly well with. But everybody that I worked for, I learned from. And I learned one of two things. Elements of their leadership style that I wanted to adopt into my personal style because of how it um, inspired or motivated me as an individual. Or elements of their leadership style that I absolutely railed against and said, I will never let that be part of what I do. And you can learn from everybody that you work for and, and shape your own personal style based on things that you've experienced that, that didn't feel good and that were demotivating and say, I will never be like that. I will never be that hypocrite. 
and then embracing the things that you do. And that's how you shape your own personal style. And there's no one way to be a great leader. There are, there are so many great leaders out there in business. They all have different styles that they've created as their own leadership DNA. But I will tell you, there are a couple things that are consistent across all great leaders. One is their ability to get the best out of their teams. And how you get the best out of your teams is by understanding and building trusting relationships with your team, actively listening to their needs. Not just manipulative insincerity, but true active listening. That's one of the most important skills a leader can have. Uh, the next is compassion, not empathy. And what I mean by that is empathy is easy. As human beings, we all can empathize with others. But empathy is a very passive trait. It's a very passive ability. Um, compassion is being able to have empathy and listen, but to be able to balance that with objective needs and how you balance through it. Because if you lead with empathy, you could find yourself having ruinous empathy. And what I mean by that is you find yourself empathizing with someone so much that you can't help them solve it or you tend to side with their view of the problem and you don't help to open their mind to the other points of view of the problem or the fact that they in and of themselves might be part of the problem in their behaviors. Compassion um, takes that active listening but puts a more actionable bent around it and, and more objective approach to, okay, I have really, I do have compassion for what you are experiencing, but I also need you to understand what this other person is experiencing and what this other person is experiencing. And let's look at this in a bigger picture view together. That's the difference between empathy and compassion because great leaders get large groups of people to align, um, to uh, agree to an approach and to do their best work together, even if they don't like each other. They find ways to work together because they respect each other. They create psychological safety. They create cultures where everybody can be their best. And you recognize and you value the skills and the talents and the, and the experiences and the diversity of thought that each individual brings to the table. And you understand how to pull that out and mix everybody together in a way that works towards the greater good, the greater common good for the team and the function of the department, the organization. You can see how that just magnifies over time. So that's what would be, I would say would be some of my advice for how to overcome the vices. Seek out mentors. Take active listening. Like, ask for feedback. Feedback is a gift. You may not like that gift, right? The feedback you get may not feel good. I, I did not enjoy the feedback I got at my one-year uh, you know, review. But all feedback is a gift because someone has taken the time to tell you how they feel. You now have knowledge. You now understand how someone else feels about your performance and your interaction, and you now have data that you can then use to do something about it. Now, what you do with that gift, do you return the gift? Do you pay it forward? Do you truly consume that gift in a way that can make an effect change? That's really up to you as an individual, but that ability to solicit feedback, to internalize that feedback and to hear it, to seek out mentors who are willing to be radically candid with you and give you that feedback for your best interest um, is invaluable in, in terms of your journey to lead. And then use that, use that to channel in, in, in reciprocity as well. So we'll thank you for that, Craig. We like to do our dives on vices, but also want to touch upon virtue too. You've spoken about empathy versus compassion. Are there other virtues that you feel like you've been naturally gifted in 
that you can maybe speak on and, and, you know, inspire us to, you know, lead in that way. Yeah, Chris, I, I thought a lot about this coming to our podcast today because I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two answers. Um, some of my virtues are actually vices that I've converted into virtues and that, that journey. I've flipped it on its head. I've taken that feedback. I've learned and I've gotten better. And, um, you know, it's, that's much like the journey Jesus was on. Right? Think about it, converting people to think differently, to take their challenges and make them opportunities. And so I would say it's two virtues that have been extremely uh, powerful for me uh, that, that were once vices are humility and charity. And, and what I mean by that is I went from arrogance to now humility. I still have self-confidence. I still very much believe in what I'm doing, but I do it in a way that I bring others along with me and that I prop my team up with me. And, 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 and the confidence I have is I am confident that I know how to get the most out of somebody else and I know how to prop them up and to give them what they need to be themselves and their best. And I put them forward. And I celebrate being in the background now because I put my team forward above myself and my team responds to that. And they get the value they need. They see the self-worth. I get the joy and satisfaction of knowing that I prepared them to be that. And it's tremendous. There's, you know, a lot of people say it's, they, they enjoy giving gifts more than receiving. That's what it feels like to be a good leader is to enjoy giving gifts to your team. Um, and, and, and what I mean by charity, it's not just tangible gifts and recognition and rewards. But I do a lot of that too. But the gift of time, the gift of feedback, the gift of coaching and psychological safety and uh, and the gift of trust and knowing that I have their best interest in mind and that they have that trust. And I, I will tell you, some of the best conversations I've had with some of my um, team members have been ones where we just ripped off the Band-Aid. We've had radical candor. Their tears were shed, but because it was because we were having true, honest, hard conversations about the things that were important. And we, we cared deeply and we challenged directly. And that led to such great trust that we could do that and trust that has maintained many people that have worked with me in prior careers now have come and worked with me in my new organization. And it's because of that relationship and trust that we built that we're on, we're motivated to the same outcome. So what I would say is some of my virtues were once vices. And, and when I talk about charity, I, I'm, a, I'm a naturally giving person, but not just giving of financial needs, but giving of self and, 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 giving of time, giving of thought, mentoring, coaching, teaching. One of the one of the things I enjoy most about my career, not just being a marketer and asking strategic questions and coming up with campaigns that drive results and really make a meaningful connection with customers, but but paying it forward. I am in the seat that I'm in because people had the charity of time and attention that they gave and invested in me and and I feel the need to have the same charity back, which is why I want to do this podcast. Even if I could share some platitudes or if even if I could share some insights on leadership that have helped me and others can benefit from that and they learn from that, then I will have made the world a better place. So those are a couple of vices I've turned into virtues. And then I would say I, I, I've always had a couple of virtuous strengths that were, were, were native to me throughout my life and career. And I, the two that really stuck, stuck out the most to me were enterprise and hope. I've always been a big picture thinker, being able to connect broader um, connection points. I've always considered myself an amateur anthropologist and being able to step back and look at the big picture and help other people see the big picture. One of the theories that was driven into me when I was at Duquesne University and I was in the marketing communications department and the chair of that department, Dr. Ronald Arnett, had a, a term called praxis, which is Latin for the practical application of knowledge. 
And in business ethics, and you think about how people can do their best work, they can do better work if they are able to understand, you know, purposeful execution is driven by understanding the big picture and how their role fits into that bigger picture. And that broader understanding of their role or the objective allows them to think about their work differently instead of just task-based leadership. So enterprise and connectivity and how I am able to create connectivity to inspire and to connect the dots for my team members to be able to do greater work and to build bridges between different departments has always been a natural strength for me. And then hope. I, I have always um, been a glass half full kind of person. I lead with positivity. I recognize challenges. I don't steer away from barriers and challenges and risk escalation and management that becomes part of any business. But I always, I lead with hope. I lead with the promise of things can be better. I lead with positivity. I lead with the desire for things to be better. And when you're wanting to try, if, if your innate objective in this life is to make the world a better place or to make your work environment a better place or to make your product a better product for your customers, how can that go wrong? How can that be a bad thing? And then you work around that. And so hope is something that always has been a tremendous virtue that has helped me um, paint the vision and bring teams along. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing on those as well. So let's uh, land this plane. Tell us about uh, some of the, what is the biggest challenge in your life? would love to take that to prayer and then give you the space to be able to just pray for uh, our audience today. Yeah, I, I would say uh, many, many challenges, Chris, but what I will tell you is one that is very, very much a focal point for me um, today is recognizing that I have been blessed, truly have been blessed with growing up in a stable household, two parents that are still married to this day that, that raised me, a, a, a mother who was able to stay at home and be part of my upbringing and teach me the values that have made me the individual I am today. I've been blessed by the ability to go to four-year education at Catholic University, paid my own way through, but I still had that advantage of being able to go. I went to a good school, that uh, public high school, that, that it gave me that education, that earned me that opportunity to go to college. I've been blessed to have found my, my wife of 19 years and my soulmate. I've been blessed to have two uh, beautiful, healthy young children that, uh, that, that just are my world, right? Uh, I've been blessed in many, many ways. And I've been blessed with talents. I've been blessed with opportunity. But I am now a white male in a position of um, significant authority for a large organization in a time and a place culturally and as a country where diversity, equity, inclusion is so far from where it needs to be. And I, the biggest challenge for me now is how do I become an agent of good and helping to bring that along in a very Christian way and a very Catholic way. I mean, this is what Jesus would want. He would want all people to be brought along on the journey. We're all God's children. And, and, and the, the rich should give to the poor. And I truly believe that those who have been blessed, you know, to those whom much is given, much is expected. So now I'm in a position to give much and for the ability for me to be able to openly engage in conversations and recognize that my lived experience is far from the lived experience that so many people have today and that so many people have not had the same level of opportunity, access to education, stable family life, 
social determinants of health, all of these things that are the barriers for people being their best and being their healthiest are things that I may not be able to relate to as a lived experience, but I need to be part of that change because it would be easy for me to say, not my problem. I didn't do anything wrong. I was not given any opportunities in my life. I earned everything I had. That used to be my mindset. I've had to come to a stark realization that no, I, my, I, I do have unconscious biases. I was benefiting from, uh, from a culture and from systems that were advantageous to me versus others. How do I, in my position of authority today, impact that change that I know we need to make as a culture, as a country, just as human beings? So that is the big next challenge for me is being a continued agent of change uh, for good and letting my faith-based approach to my life, letting my spirituality guide me into those courageous conversations and to, and to do the difficult things that need to be done because I, I think we would all agree that there's so much wrong in the world today, but we all have an opportunity to be part of making the world that much better. And I think we all are called to do it and we all have an accountability to do it. Awesome. Well, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, we just lift uh, Craig up right now. Lord, you hear the uh, desire of his heart and um, you're a good father who gives all, all good gifts to our children. You know, you said, seek and we shall find. And so, Lord, I just pray that you open the doors, Lord, to allow Craig, to be a vehicle of your grace for those that need uh, the hand up to be able to uh, take that journey and next level of blessing that he's received uh, through his mentors throughout his life. And we pray through, through the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And, and dear Lord, please allow me to continue to recognize my vices, to have the humility to take those vices and to turn them into virtues, to constantly evolve, listen, and become the best version of myself so that I can be the best husband, father, brother, son, friend, community member, leader, teammate, the best person I can be. Because if I can be my best version of self, I can have impact on the world. I can have impact on the community. I can do your work and I can make the world a better place in your name. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us on the Virtuous Heroes podcast, where we inspire virtuous leadership. Greg, look forward to continuing the dialogue and many blessings to uh, all y'all. And thank you. Uh, you know, we're recording a, a, on Memorial Day. So just big shout out and thank you to all veterans out there that have done amazing work to maintain our freedom. So blessings to you, Craig. And uh, thanks again. Likewise, Chris, I really enjoyed our time together. and I look, I look forward to talking further. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. To continue to grow in virtue, will you please subscribe to the Virtuous Heroes podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify? Or you could also visit us on the web at www.spiritmco.com. That would be tubular. Hope you have an awesome day.